as a tape recorder when I was a tween. And in retrospect, all those recordings were obscene. But now I'm an adult and I can laugh at myself. Why not play them for someone else? These are the tapes and I hope you enjoy A slice of nostalgia through the ears of a boy Travel back in time with a familiar sound Let's all get lost and rewound Episode 6, Edited Memory Featuring an interview with guest contributor Matthew Shiner Hello, y'all. I don't know why I just said y'all. Sorry. This is Lost and Rewound. My name is Alan. Joined once again by my friends Jimmy and Melissa. When I was in middle school, I carried a handheld tape recorder around with me. These recordings have gone almost entirely unheard until now. Jimmy and Melissa here will be listening with fresh ears as we dive into the rough and raw sounds of old media, specifically that of the cassette tape. Ultimately, we hope to achieve absolute humility as we come to grips with the sounds of our youth and attempt to connect the dots between then and now. Let's begin. I'm really looking forward to this episode, and maybe it's just due to the fact that you know, here we are in June, and it's Father's Day, and um, we have a lot of clips from the days of the Danziger Zone that involve my dad. So um, I think this one was when he had just gotten back from one of his business trips, and so I was really excited to see him. Let's take a listen, yeah? This is Alon Danziger, an exciting, exclusive, exclusive comeback to the man with it all. Here it is! You are the only, my dad, Robin Danziger! Welcome to our show, Robin. How are you doing? Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back, Robin. Excuse me, what? Here's an exclusive interview with my dad, Robin Danziger. How it was like to be in. What is it like? I, I'm talking. To, I'll talk to Sarah first. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, he has something in his throat. Uh, he can't talk right now. The hospital's coming in right now. Okay, but that. Uh, I think they got my out of his throat. Now, a personal interview with the man with the plan. The guy from ECC and the guy from General Realty. Here's my dad, Robin Dadsker. How was it like to be in Detroit? Uh, Detroit, Detroit was, um, I stayed in a hotel that was 70 stories tall. Whoa! And I, and, and I ate dinner at a restaurant that was at the top of this building. Yummy! And it, the t restaurant, was spinning around. Uh, this one, we have two under ten. Or? Oh, under four. Two. Well, I meant two. Two, two under ten. ten. Okay. Under ten years old. That's right. Yeah, we have a children's menu. That's why. That's exactly what we have. Okay. And yes, I got the menu. And the and the um, the the restaurant spun around, 
Whoa, I got to get Why you're eating? That wasn't fast. Slow. But oh, yes. You, you can take a look at the whole... You pressed my... He told us. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> slowly. Very, very slowly. So you can see the view all the way around. Very interesting. So the spinning hotel restaurant thing. Um, we had one growing up. We actually had two growing up in Atlanta. So I don't know if like that was uh, an 80s kitschy thing that they built on top of hotels or what. Like... Uh, to this day, I still have never eaten in a spinning hotel restaurant, so I would not know. I was not balling as a kid. <laughs> no, I just like it was like the um to actually go. I can't remember what it was called, like like the sundial or something like that. Like it was kind of like a birthday special occasion thing. Like it wasn't like a, oh hey let's just go to Applebee's kind of restaurant, but we we definitely had one, and it was like a thing to go and do. I'm gonna make a really sad remark now. Because I feel like the most famous of these restaurants on tops of tall buildings was Windows on the World, the one that was on the top of the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, you had to get a reservation over a year in advance. What? Yeah, and I still remember thinking about that. That was one thing I thought about afterwards. No. All these people who had been waiting all year to go to the World Trade Center that got killed in that, I, in that restaurant. Now that, yeah. now that you say <laughs> that. Just to bring it down, guys. So now that you say that, though, actually. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> End of our show. Thanks for joining. No, uh, but now that you say that, I remember I had an aunt who lived in Jersey in the early 90s, and I would like come visit her for a week during summer vacation, and she'd take me into the city for a day, and we'd go to see like go to the History Museum and go see a show. One year, she tried to get us reservations, I think. She wanted to take me to the World Trade Center, like up to the top of the towers, and it never ended up happening, and then September 11th and sadness and... There's not a good end to that story. Uh, on, a, on a different note, Elon, mm. is your dad the sidekick to Batman? You know, he could have been, He, but I don't even think he would have been able to beat Robin up in a fight. I don't, and also to the beginning of the that. Actual, or the actual Robin. Him and Burt Ward, I think Burt Ward would, would, would give him a licking easily. At the beginning of that clip, too, how long were you trying to get your dad's attention? It's like, Dad, 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 Robin Danziger! So I don't know if maybe my ADD came from him, but I certainly was diagnosed with ADD much, much earlier on before he he was. Um, and, you know, this is a, an adult man who, you know, wasn't taking medication for, you know, years until I was already well past the Ritalin, the Stratera, the Adderall, all that stuff. Um, what I would say is is that his attention span is certainly on par with mine in that you know there's always going to be stuff that's distracting but um, I think it was just the fact that he had just gotten in uh, what I will remark about is is when I'm first trying to get his attention he's driving so for whatever reason I'm like trying to interview him while he's driving into the parking lot the Red Lobster yes we went to the Red Lobster that's where we were meeting him I have not gone to a Red Lobster rather since that occasion, I don't think. But uh, it still stands there. I, no, wait. It doesn't stand there. A Sonic's is now there. The Sonic <sighs> is better. Sonic is... I love Sonic. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, basically, I think my sister got ahead of me in order to uh, give him, like, the whole, hey, daddy, 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 good to see you, good to see you. So I was second in line because... Did he go on a lot of business trips? Was this a regular occurrence? He still does. He, uh, you know, his work uh, basically gets him all over the world, really. Uh, He's in Baltimore a lot. He's, uh, you know... Exotic Baltimore. He's he's in Geneva, actually, I think every year as well. Um, He goes to quite a, a lot of different cities spanning a, a year's time just you know for business and just because he is uh putting his best foot forward and works hard and so he would always be away i guess maybe about four times a year probably so i wonder when you were a kid uh especially you know as you're trying to get your dad's attention over your sister 
was it a bigger deal when he was home? You know, obviously, you don't see him quite as often because he goes on business trips. Oh, no, no. My dad was awesome when we were growing up in regards to paying attention to his kids. Uh, you know, to be candid, I think my father had uh, always an interesting childhood to live up to himself so that when he had children, it's like, how do I deal with raising teenagers? But when he was raising children, it was a new experience for him. So I think uh, as we got older, it became more of a challenge for him just dealing with two of them and two uh, children, one being uh, a boy, one being a girl. So it's like the dynamics. I'm not as much like my dad, I think, as my sister is. It's definitely not straight up, I am like my mom. I am like my dad. No, I share kind of a, a most, menagerie well, of both. I think most people are like that, though. I think most people are sort of a mix of both their parents, and you're not exactly like one or the other. Yeah, I'm not like it's not like like a Stepford Wives, yeah. and then like you know, you there's not a carbon and, copy of right, like like the Eves or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I just cited X Files, but at any rate, you know what I mean. The thing about uh, my sister was that I think in general back in the day, her forte was very much me, me, me all the time, all the time, and there's always that element of how much attention you want more than the other sibling when you're a kid uh but she was also the younger sibling so i think that was more in line with how she was supposed to be at nine not even nine i'm talking about seven years old yeah i think also too though like the father daughter father daughter dynamic is a little bit different from father son like even now as an adult if i really want to talk my way out of something or get something out of my father all i have to do is kind of look at him and go daddy and i it I get what I want. I figured that out when I was about six, and it still holds true to this day. I mean, please, like, he would come over and fix stuff in my apartment when I was in college, and I had an awful landlord who wouldn't, who would just, like, never do anything, and I'd call my dad, and he'd come fix it for me. And I, I think I might be the stereotypical uh, mama's boy, uh, at least growing up in retrospect. And, you know, as I grow older, I, I feel like I try and fight against that because I know that I need to be an adult eventually, God forbid, and you know, get my act together and not look like uh, a poster child for Jewish kids' guilt or something. Yeah. <laughs> Adulthood? Know. What's that? Come on now, I, please. The point is, is that I think at the end of the day, my dad was somebody that I sort of I revered and knew that I had to work a little harder to impress him. And I could do no wrong with my mom in regards to impressing her because uh, I was more of a creative type. Uh, and my dad, I think, had sort of moved on from being an artisan and was the quintessential businessman, really. He was getting to be that way. Well, I think there's a the whole thing, especially uh, being, you know, that father-son relationship of trying to impress your father you know, again, even if he's not around as much or whatever it happens to be. You share the uh, namesake of your father, so, yeah. I mean, you have a lot to live up to. Besides the fact that I didn't have any siblings, uh, so there was definitely a point in my childhood where my I thought that my father was, like, the kingpin and that everything he said was gold, and I took, you know, everything at, as complete truth, and I guess there was this point when I was a little older when, like, the glass shattered, and I realized that he wasn't, the be-all, end-all. He wasn't like a hero. You know, he was just a man who has flaws like anyone else. And, you know, it, there's that, that separation and that, that change where you say, well, what does he want from me? What do I want for myself? And uh, how, do I, how do I, you know, get the best of both worlds? Now, for the record, uh, all our fathers, uh, I think we've disclosed what, we, what our fathers have done in the past, but what, what, what does uh, your father do now, Jimmy? Uh, right now, my father is a college professor, and he also is a, uh, I what, guess, a what middle does he school teach? teacher. He teaches business management. 
Oh. And uh, introduction to marketing. And mathematics, I believe, sometimes, too. Right. I don't pay too much attention. Melissa? Uh, my dad is a volunteer firefighter and a Christmas tree farmer. A Christmas yes, tree farmer? Yes, my parents, their retirement, late middle age, their side project thing they've gotten into as they've gotten older is they started growing Christmas trees in rural Virginia. It's pretty gangster waspy. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. No, and the, you know what's extra waspy about it, too? Is it, it, the project originally started because it was a tax shelter. I kid you not. My mother wow. bought a tax shelter because man, we're white. We gonna start just straight, just straight, like, laying down trees, man. No, but my dad, my dad is a firefighter. He's a volunteer firefighter for Vanna County, Virginia. I, if you want to go southern, I'll, I can do the dialect. Why did you stop? <laughs> <laughs> also, Should you want to do entire? Don't it? don't don't feel. He also deals next trees. Time, well, no, my dad is actually still to this day a total pothead, and has straight up said to me that if they ever legalized or decriminalized whatever down in Virginia, he would plant his ninety nine tr- plants out in the back pasture and just share. My father. Uh, why not a oh. hundred? Because a hundreds a fed- the hundred hundreds when you get to DEA federal territory. Like wow. that's the. Thanks for letting me know this important information. <laughs> My father uh, was doing for a long time. He was uh, crafting these wood boxes and fusing them together with stone because he was a big geology nerd back in college. But that eventually sort of min- uh, dwindled away the whole desire to be in the crafts business, uh, and he eventually. After a stint in real estate, <laughs> he got involved in this company that works with World Mint. And one of the terms that you could say for what he is is a numismatist, which in the dictionary is defined as one who deals with mint. He basically goes around to these different countries and states around this, uh, the country and markets packages of old money be it um you know be be it mint or paper money that's mostly out of circulation so for example you have pesos you have uh just to clarify for everybody listening you're saying mint as in minted coins not mint the herb oh that would be great if it was mint it it was mint mint like actual food but no i mean father's name is double (laughs) (laughs) and he he deals in mint (laughs) And, Uh, and twins Scrooge McDuck would make a great uh, uh, place in these conventions where basically everybody is there buying old money because it's all like it's it's really like a perfect set like I guess sort of an event for people with a lot of time and a lot of money to buy ancient artifacts. One of my dad's biggest jobs over the last fifteen years has been cleaning up old Roman coins and just making them cleaner and more presentable and shipping them off into certain packages depending on who the emperor was back then super nerdy stuff and like interests basically everybody else except for me uh this is all in in retrospect in hindsight i guess because at the time i was like this is so boring because i wasn't really that much into history but every single one of my friends would come over and my dad would be like cleaning coins like until the wee hours of the morning and they'd be like what does he do i feel like cleaning the coins though would would like decrease their value or something. I guess if you're a collector, if you're new, if you're a collector, a you want to know. Or whatever, yeah, like if you collect the coins, you want to see the specimen. I guess I'm thinking more in terms of like archaeology and. Yeah, I mean, the, it's it's definitely a historian's and archaeologist a uh, a collector's business for sure. Yeah. So want that old time dirt on it. Uh huh. You know? Actually, uh, I got a couple Indian head pennies as tips before, and they were all worth like a hundred bucks. Or Keep so. them. 
Yeah, I got them around. I mean, pretty cool. They, they probably are not going to appreciate in value, but they'll keep the value. They'll re- the value will be retained. Yeah, because what happens is that uh, when people go on vacation, you know, they change a lot of their money, and then sometimes they go home with that money and they throw it in like a box, and then they say, "Oh, next time I go to America, I'll bring that money with me." So I'll get bills that are thirty-five years old, and you know, they shred bills every few years, and like you know, coins that are over a hundred years old and stuff like that, because it just happened to be the money they had laying around, like that sort of thing. You'll get like like an old-time bill, and it'll be crisp and new, and it'll be like really strange. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can actually probably make a decent amount off of that at some of like the coin and money co- like conventions. People who sell all that shit. Not like I know anybody. Not like I have any coin connections. No, not like you know anybody who deals coins. <laughs> that got awkward for a second. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's take a listen to this next clip. Actually, uh, this is I think just a typical morning after the babysitter. Uh, we did have a babysitter clip at the, for the first episode. This was <laughs> a different babysitter than the last time. Uh, really sweet woman named Anna, and she uh, I guess didn't come back as a babysitter after this particular. Occasion. Let's this take a clip, listen. This clip bum, bum, made her leave. Well, we'll find out very shortly. Did you like your tape recorder? Your dad? Sarah was like bad handling it last night. She like, just took it away from me and started to. Uh, to so how did you handle that? Well, I just, I told her that I would I would erase the whole thing if he, if she if she uh, she didn't turn it off if she didn't turn it off and gave it, and gave it to me. She just took it away from me and I was doing it. So what'd you do? I so what, what did that do? I tried to get away from her, but she was like... What was, so what, what, what happened next? Well, I kicked her like a couple of times, but Sarah's like, no fair! And then she started crying down, and then I said, don't do that to her. So what, what happened next? Well, we started to fight over it, and then I won. Then you what? I, we started to fight over it. And then? And I got it. You no, know, nobody really won. Okay. Because I got to bed first. That's how I did. Oh, and who made who who said that you were gonna get it if you uh? So whoever got to bed first after the that fight. That's what Anna said. Yeah, and I got to bed first. Okay. When did you get home? About twelve thirty. I was I was there before you. You what? I was I was up at like ten, but then I went back to sleep. Uh-huh. Okay, bye. Two ADD people talking to each other. Oh, by the way, that that clip also ends with "Okay, bye." Like, how many <laughs> like awkward? How many dancing or some clips at this point have ended with "Okay, bye"? Yeah, I, I wasn't one to just say goodbye very well. I just was sort of like, "Well, all right, we're done. <laughs> Peace." Continue with your point. I just wanted to. No point really. I I can make it speaks for itself. But um, for the record, obviously, uh, or not obviously, I should say it. The subject of the t- of the topic was the tape recorder, of which I guess Sarah had stolen, and so that was what spearheaded this whole conversation. So, and so you kicked your sister to get your tape recorder back, basically. Yeah, I like how you had to like. So I kicked her a few times, and then but what's I like so it, wrong I, with that? And you then know? I won, and then I won the fight. I mean, no one won, but I won, oh. and I got it. And this then. is one of the main, <laughs> I think probably I learned this just from sheer, uh, uh, I guess, experience of having a younger sibling, and you can probably attest to this, that you know when you have disagreements and you get into altercations and you start fighting each other, maybe that's just one of the reasons why I never really was one to fight in school to make a point because I learned from having a younger sibling that it doesn't get anything accomplished at home. So why is it going to get anything accomplished outside of the home? I don't know. I think, uh, well, 
my brother and I are the, about the same as same number of years apart as you and your sister. But my brother and I, we didn't really get close until he was in high school and I was in college. And we were far enough apart and had different enough peer groups that like the only time we were ever in school together is when he was in kindergarten and I was in fifth grade. So like when we were younger like that, we just didn't overlap at all. We, we mostly didn't fight because we had nothing to fight about. Like the biggest fight we would get into is like Saturday morning cartoons and he would want to watch something awful like Ed, Ed, Nettie. And I would just, yell at him actually I, uh, this is really good you mentioned this i do remember one time that the remote control got broken because uh, sarah and i had a, uh, an argument and it ended up with me slamming the remote control on the floor and basically voiding it unusable oh Lon. i know i fucked it up i totally fucked it up but my dad was raised in a household growing up that was less than uh calm and you know, sort of nur- I mean, he was nurturing, but there was definitely some tough love, and I think he uh, definitely got the a treatment of sort of disciplinary action. And but that's a sort of I think I don't know maybe that is not the norm these days. It's still there. It's still prevalent in our parts of our society, but it's kind of looked down upon. Yeah, white parents don't spank their kids anymore. That's like not a that's not a thing. It's I got I got spanked once when I was a kid. Very, very young. I must have been like two or three. But the point is is that my mom, when I got spanked, my mom basically told my dad, she was like, if you do that again, you're never going to see me again. And he didn't do it again. Yeah, I think- and it, it was very like to the point and just that does not happen in this house. Yeah, It was a way to sort of bridge the gap between uh, what is right and what is completely unnecessary. Well, you can you can be a disciplinarian without having to use violence or any sort of action like that. You're well, saying when I was a kid, um, it was the same thing. I had uh, you know, two different. My parents are again two different races, so they had two different ideas about bringing up children, and very much from the uh, classic Hispanic like uh, way of bringing people up. My mother used to hit me when I was a kid, and uh, my father the same way didn't approve. I remember watching them have like. Like yelling matches about hitting me. Uh, and I remember that at one point my mother conceded that she wouldn't hit me in the face anymore. And then at one point she would she said, okay, I'll only spank him. And then my father was like, no, I don't want you hitting him at all. Let's just ex- let's just talk to him. Because if you explain to him the deal, he'll, he'll probably stop. And uh, so my mother did stop hitting me, but she would never, she never conceded to explaining uh, her reasoning for anything. You were still just in trouble. Well, it was the whole deal that she would tell me to do something. And if I didn't see why she was asking me, I'd ask why. I'd say, Ma, why do you want me to do this? And her answer was, of course, because I said so. And I'd say, that's not a, that's not a real answer. It's not a good enough answer. You are not the authority. And then she would always say, well, you always listen to your father. Why do you listen to what your father says? And I'd say, well, because I'll ask him the most mundane thing, and he'll give me a real thought-out explanation. It may be something really simple or stupid that I'm asking about, but he'll put the thought into it and give me a real answer for why. And even if it's you know something that I didn't need to hear, it's something. It's just I needed to hear something back. I, you know, a sense of mutual respect in that way. Yeah, I think my parents, they sort of did that too. I mean, I definitely got a lot of timeouts when I was a kid. That was that was the punishment is, here's what you did wrong, now go sit and think about it. And until you understand why it's wrong, you get to stay in your room. Um, but there was, there was sort of this conscious effort. Like my parents, part of why I think my brother and I sort of matured so young and whatever is that they just treated us like people. I mean, once we were old enough to have a rational conversation and understand it was always age appropriate, but we definitely always like, 
you have to do this. You have to do X because of Y. And like, it's like, okay, that's cool. I get it. Um, but I did notice, and going back to the clip for a second, Alon, like, your dad was like really just calm and like, hey, tell me what happened with you and your sister. I feel like if my brother and I had gotten into that kind of fight as calm and measured as my parents generally were, like, we would still get in trouble. Like, that would be the end of it. The babysitter said you kicked your sister, taking your Game Boy away. Like, yeah. That, we, my parents would not have reacted that calmly. They, I, if I remember correctly, that clip is me walking into my parents' bedroom. My dad is still in bed, like still kind of groggy, hasn't gotten up and really uh, greeted the day yet. And so I'm obviously, you know, when you're a kid, you are awake at 11 a.m. You're awake at 9 a.m. You're awake at 10 a.m. Yeah, you dad, are awake. Your, your you dad like, mentioned that he had been out of ball on the night before. He was out until 1230. Ball, oh, I know. I, <laughs> I was impressed by that, actually. Straight I, change balling. 2 a.m. was like, what? 2 a.m.? I can't imagine being up this late. I remember when I oh. stayed up that late once. I also I, have, to remember, have to imagine that there's not a ton to do past midnight in Woodstock. I mean, you, you, you have a, a set bedtime. You're supposed to go to bed at this mm-hmm. time, so by the time you wake up, you have a, a, you're like a spring chicken on a Saturday morning, so you have the ability mm-hmm. to function, and your parents are the ones who like to sleep in late, so you wake them up, and they're like, oh, please, not yet. Well, you know, if he had reacted harshly, you know, you would have, you would have, you know, started to react like he had. Say he reacted and didn't hit you. What are you going to do? You're going to copy him because he's your dad. You're going to hit, you're going to hit her again. You know, it's that sort of thing. I remember um, recently, I actually just met up with uh, a guy um, that I had, I guess he had been an old enemy of mine and I'd seen him around. He actually lives on my street. An old enemy. He was an old enemy. An, 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 like an arch nemesis? Uh, he was an arch nemesis, but it was at a very young age. So how did it begin? Uh, it, we used to have a lot of fist fights to the point that he just out of nowhere. He actually, and he told me this when I met up with him recently, that he actually had got hadn't gone to therapy and all sorts of counseling because of the fights he used to get with me. I never did, and I didn't get in trouble for them. Um, but I, he approached me. I'd seen him around. I didn't want to say anything because I remember the last memory I had of him was uh, that I had tackled him down a flight of stairs, and again, I didn't push him down the stairs. I said, if I'm going to fight somebody on a staircase, I'm going to do like the Bruce Willis Die Hard, and I'm going to go down the stairs with them. So we both had the chance of getting really injured, right? So I tackled him on the stairs, and I remember hitting his head into the staircase as we were going down each step. I was five, five years old at the time. Violent child. Five or six. Violent child. It was kindergarten. Um, Problem child. And he didn't, it was funny because he didn't remember it, and then I explained it like vividly in detail, and he goes, oh, that was you. It whooped me down the stairs. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, you know, you influenced my fighting style forever after that. And every time I would ever fight anybody, I would fight them on the stairs. <laughs> you changed things a kid's that, life. The things that you get when you're five years old uh-huh. in a fist fight. And again, this is because my mother had hit me as a kid. So, you know, I was more used to the violence. And I didn't get in nearly as many fights as I got older and older. I just, I don't know. I got into one fight when I was 10 years old. And it, it was this, over the silliest things. It was just me being harassed by a few kids who were saying the same thing over and over again to um i guess just prod prod at me and get under my skin and they would just be like it's not the end of the world it's not the end of the world or something like that just poking the way kids poke yeah yeah yeah, they call you like a lawn the prawn no 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 but they could have um might have to steal that now actually right Oh uh, no! I'm just trying to come up with a cheesy, like you know, like elementary school insult, something, <laughs> something like that. Fourth grade was tough, and Danziger Zone happened after fourth grade. I don't even know what would have happened if this was in fourth grade. Fourth grade was a rough year for whatever reason, and it it could have been any year, but fourth 
grade happened to be the first year I remember that I was met with a lot of uh, sort of, I guess, animosity from certain other boys in the class. And one time on the playground, I, this one kid just irked me to the point where I actually jumped on him and started punching him. And, and it was almost reminiscent of Ralphie doing the, that style in A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. Except, and I think he, it, and it ended up with him having a bloody nose too, but he, he wasn't a ginger, so it didn't look like super pale with the blood right there. I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. The point is, is that I, I, got, I didn't get in any trouble because I wasn't traditionally a bad kid for what the school saw me. It was sort of like an isolated incident where it's like, okay, whoa, Elon Danziger getting into a fight. Okay, just... Don't do it next time. And then yeah, I if didn't... you'd done that today, you'd have gotten like sent home and off to this guidance. Like they would have called the social worker. And... You know, sometimes violence is necessary, though. Sometimes... I just I had no reason I'm to do the, it. The word of violence here, but the voice of violence. Yeah. <laughs> From... Sometimes you gotta lay the smack down on a kid. You know, fuck it, forget about it. Don't worry about it. Just Get that move dirt the, off your shoulder. Move the hell on. Exactly. Yeah, but I... that's but that was my that was the way I rolled. I didn't like to get into it i just said if i'm gonna get made fun of then i'm just gonna let it slide and just chill and that's how i rolled in fifth and sixth grade i i tried at least and if i failed then i failed but it was in my best interest to not let it get to me so but the whole deal is it's the it's the kid respect you know i feel like every time that i got in a fight when i was a kid um there was an idea that if i didn't fight him or if i lost the fight and I would lose respect, or I'd lose my places, or whatever. I happen to if be. If you a kid. don't, if you don't in help initiate, if you initiate it, it's one thing. But if someone tries to fight you and you don't reciprocate, and you don't that, finish it. That's the idea. You got to finish it. They start it, and you finish it. That I'm was saying. It, they used to call me the finisher. That was. You know. this, this is a total. This is a total dude thing. Like girls growing up, we didn't fight like that. Like I mean, I hold. I held. Plenty of purses. Girl fights. Well, no. When you get into middle and high school, I I never got into fights, but I held plenty of other girls' purses and earrings because you always take your earrings out before you fight. Not in Brooklyn. Things you learn in public school: take your earrings out before you fight. In Brooklyn, you put on as much metal as possible. (laughs) Well, no, because you take out. It's the big hoop earrings. You don't want to leave those in because they can pull them. Rip out. Yeah. Yeah. You want to keep your rings on your finger, like your the rest of your jewelry on, because your rings are yeah can punch a bitch with that. But (laughs) (laughs) that you can. You know, words of wisdom. Always always take your earrings out. And one of the last high schools I went to was particularly trashy. And I think at one point somebody actually handed their baby off before the fight started in the lunchroom. It's better than throwing your baby at the assailant, <laughs> giving him a little, you know, can fodder. No, it's true. But like, it was one of those. Here, hold my baby. It's like what? The... I went. I went to some interesting schools. Um, but yeah, point was, girls didn't fight like that in elementary school. We would talk about each other and we would be super catty, but. Nobody got into actual physical fights. I, I don't. I didn't go to middle school and public school in so much as like a seventh, eighth grade, where there was uh, much more, um, I guess, sort of pheromones and hormones flying around. And so, in sixth grade, I don't remember at least fifth grade, sixth grade. I don't remember there really being any huge cat fights between any of the girls going on. I don't even know why we call it cat fights. That, that's that's really an annoying term now that I think about it. Why, like, if it's a I think the, I, girls fighting each other, it's cat fights, but it's any other kind of term when it's guys to fight but each when other. it's planes fighting each other it's a dog fight why well, explain that riddle me this mm. i don't know yeah. the origin on that one i think cat fight, this is something to yeah. uh, something to put at. in our google list yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And i think cat fight a part <laughs> of it is off. a little bit actually just sort of without going too far off the women's studies deep end again is sort of this like a little bit of a sort of sexist connotation that women don't fight like men fight like men actually throw punches girls traditionally when they fight they claw at each other and pull hairs which is kind of like an actual cat like if you think about the way two cats fight each other, 
Like, yeah. No, I, I I understand yeah. that, but women it, women hiss like <laughs> it does not excuse Bitch, the fact please. that that was, <laughs> that doesn't excuse though that, that I, I I sort of jumped to that as my first sort of term. No, anyway. I know the way that the way the term is ingrained and we is thrown around casually is an interesting point to bring up. And once the fight is over, the woman is like licking her wounds. You know, it's like <laughs> let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, for some refreshing water, and when we come back, uh, some more fatherly clips. And more words from our sponsor, Delicious Water. <laughs> now available in diet. This is Lost and Rewound. So as I was saying before, my dad did a lot of traveling, and one time we actually got to travel to Washington, D.C. with him. Incidentally, not for his own business, but for my mom's business. Uh, She was still involved in crafts very heavily back then, uh, designing hats. And so she was down in D.C. for a craft show, and my dad took my sister and I um, independently of my mom because my mom had to carry all the inventory so we drove down separately and that was the first time i ever went to dc but we got a lot of bonding in with my dad um and he is by all intents and purposes a huge ham let's take a listen it's time for dramatic dad you you got me Why did you do that to me? I had to, George. They're going to get you anyway. I had to do it. Uh, For you, man. It hurts. It hurts. I know, but it hurts me more than it hurt you. Don't shoot me again. I won't. I have to. Oh, Oh. Oh. Oh, that last shot hurt even more. That's not bad, dramatic dad. So wait, were you guys like acting out a film noir crime drama as your I guess uh, a whatever film he had in his mind I didn't have in my mind this I had, was not a pre-planned no that was improv it was like dad and I try improv <laughs> that was awesome I have to say I enjoyed it thoroughly but you're like a film buff so like you can honestly look at listen to that and equate that with sort of a perfect parody of the, 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 the noir as Melissa was saying I thought, especially for a young kid and his dad, it was it was goofy to me. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, actually. Uh, it reminded me, uh, this is in college, a friend of mine. Um, he actually, it's funny, He he's a filmmaker. He has about as much film pressure as you can possibly get because he was named after Orson Welles. Oh, oh. Yeah. You no know. pressure at all. Uh, yeah. Exactly. You know. Do whatever you want, kid. Be a heart surgeon. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's if uh, the same way if you're like, you know, born in Germany and they name you... Adolf, like it's just a, it's a hard, it's hard mm-hmm. to come back from. So, his father is uh, semi-famous. His father um, has directed lots of Steven Seagal films. Anyway, uh, my dad, he he was doing a film uh, in Red Hook, and it was supposed to be a crime drama in Red Hook, and he wanted a guy to play an old timey gangster, like in the same film noirish way, and he got my dad to play the character. Awesome. And, 
it was like he was doing the really same really hammy thing and he was like explaining to the main character about like the ways of the street and he's like yeah this, hey then we do it around here you know you got to make sure when you're going down this way you know you can talk to this guy and he's doing all that kind of that kind of stuff uh, but it's really funny seeing your dad do that stuff especially when your dad you know isn't a performer you know, maybe, you know, your dad, you'd seen him make you laugh, but when you're doing something extra like that, it's, it's kind of a goof. And it was one thing that I ended up uh, hearing from uh, my friend is he goes, oh, yeah, I showed the film to my father afterwards. And he goes, and my dad said that the only good actor in the movie was your dad. And I thought that was pretty funny. And I told my dad about that, and he was all beaming and stuff because he'd never acted ever in his life before. It's just probably the, the organic, the real person as opposed to somebody who's a trained actor that... And I think I think also too though that's sort of the subtlety of film acting versus stage acting is the sort of genuineness that you pick up in film that you can't quite get on stage. Stage is all just because of the per- relationship, the audience, and all that, and the scale. You have to be larger than life, and it has to be a little hammy, a little caricature. It's to speaking of which, this is a good segue to talk about Jimmy and his films that he has that he has yet to contribute because I'm pretty sure they are just as campy as he keeps on. Uh, pimping them out to be. They have been found. Uh, were, I guess I can need, we need to but get But have they been rewound? They've not been rewound. They've it's exactly found and found, not yet rewound. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, we changed the name of the show. No, go on. But uh, I definitely know that there is a film noir uh, in it that we did when we were like 13 or so. Uh, and um, I'll just drop a little sneak pre- preview about it. Uh, there's a mob boss and his son is a dolphin and his character and all he, all he does is go ah, ah, the whole time. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, the only, like, it actually doesn't surprise me at all that 13-year-old Jimmy would come up with the premise like this crime film with a, yeah, a was, dolphin character. That's definitely my idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like everybody else in the room right now is losing it and I'm just like, nah, eh. <laughs> Oh yeah, some more dolphin noises. Uh, those will be coming soon. Man. Who could win a fight, Lassie or Flipper? Flipper or Lassie? Um, oof, you know what? Flipper was actually a porpoise, by the way. Oh, snap. Well, I'm going to say... Let's just roll with it, okay? On a, <laughs> just on roll with prim- it. I know, I'm taking you on the premise, but that's a little, a little factoid like the more this. you know. Flipper and Lassie. Land battle, Lassie, water battle, Flipper. That was easy. Uh, <laughs> well, there ends that... I guess <laughs> I thought that there there would be some good discussion there, but clearly there, we we need we need more water mammals that. Uh, oh, so so Shamu were, or Flipper? More water animals. What? That or Free Willy? Like, you know, are we talking? Are we trying to come up with like ridiculous animal battles still? Are you saying Blister? animals that would be in a noir film? Is this what we're saying? Oh no, I thought we're st- I thought we we're still like the, the like classic TV. We're gonna make a noir <laughs> film. We're gonna have Flipper and Lassie, and then we're gonna have any other TV, famous TV animals in there too. But I don't know. I don't know who. Like any Mr. Other... Ed, yes, Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed will be the detective. We, we, we're gonna we're gonna write this down. He's got his pad out no, right no, now. No, no, no. I'm not even gonna write this down. This is. I just thought about this. Um, yeah, he's looking for something. You remember how you had done that Teenage Mutant Ninja Beetles thing in one of our old episodes? What was math, that episode? Mid, uh, was that episode Beatles. one or two? Ninja Math Mutant Beatles. I think that was episode one. That, that was episode one. one. So I re- I wrote a whole cartoon. Uh, that was in the same vein, and I have it somewhere in here. Uh, it's about uh, beavers. It's the beavers. Ro- robotic beavers. Um, I want to say that they're not necessarily beavers. I think they're all like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not marsupials, rodents. The rodents. They're all mechanical rodents. Uh, Just generically rodents. Like While yeah. you're looking for that, you're making me remember about marsupials and that platypi are poisonous. 
as I found out recently. They is also, it platypi or platypussies? Platypi. Platypi. pussies. What? No, not platypussies. Very funny. I didn't say that. I, you guys. Sorry. The words. No, I think Alon went there. I think Alon's the one who went there. Wah, wah, blue uh, humor. Um, there are so many other clips of uh, the dramatic dad kind of acting that was going on. Uh, there was one, I think, where he did Shakespeare that we'll have to play at some point. But And then there was one where he did like a speech. He helped me with a speech. So he was quite involved in sort of the, sort of the bravado. Um, there's plenty to, where that came from. The dramatic dad actually in the clip reminds me a lot of my dad, one of the... Because I was always a big theater kid. I got started in on the stage really young and so my dad would help me with my lines he'd help me learn my lines and he would do the he would get really into the characters like not just like running lines really quick back and forth with me but he would read the other characters and he would do different voices for everybody else in the scene and it was like that was a thing my dad and I did because he was a big jock in school and he always wanted me to be good at sports and we've covered the part where I was really bad at sports but he, but he encouraged the theater yeah, yeah like he got really into that with me that was something else that he got more into because that was what I like to do but we definitely went through that phase where tried to do sports because that's what dad wanted me to do, but, or that, like, he just, that's what he encouraged because that's what he had been good at, and I was just not the athlete in the family at all. Did you, uh, find your beaver story? I didn't, uh, you know, I gotta go through the joke book and start, like, labeling it. That's what I do whenever I, because I'll write, like, you know, 30 jokes, and then I'll go through all the jokes and start to say which ones I'm going to do and start practicing them, but I haven't gone through all my old notes. So it's somewhere. Well, but I hope may- maybe I- maybe we'll try and get it somewhere later on oh, in the show. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, we have an interview coming up. So let's take a quick break, and uh, yeah. We'll be back in a bit. You're listening to Lost and Rewound. <laughs> With us over the internet right now, talking to us, is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Shiner, who has so kindly become the first individual to come on Lost and Rewound and contribute his own personal audio. Welcome, Matthew. Wow, thank you. It's, it's great to be here on the internet. Yay, internet! We, uh, we've been asking other people for their tapes, and it's so exciting that we finally got some. We were supposed to be here in person live, uh, but uh, Matthew is a busy individual. You, uh, you're actually playing a show tonight, right? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm gonna go. Well, I'm not myself necessarily. Uh, some friends are performing tonight and asked me to come sit in on a song with them because it's going to be their last show for a while. So they're having a bunch of pals out for a pal-wow. How many different bands do you play with? Uh, right now, only really two. But you've but like within the last year, it's been just sort of a cascading amount of uh, different projects you've been working on. Uh, yeah, I was technically playing with four bands uh, in the middle of last year for a while, uh, and then I found out that was too many and passed one of the, one of the gigs on to a friend of mine. And the other band is uh, sort of I don't know about disbanding, but you know, indefinite hiatus. Yeah, homeboy realized that his uh, his life back in his home country is way sweeter than his life here. So he's just gonna stay there. You contributed uh, just one side of a tape, so there's like 45 minutes worth of stuff that. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about exactly when this was recorded? 
so yeah, so the content of that tape is, uh, or at least that side of the tape, is a compilation of lots of micro cassette recordings from my childhood. I think from between the ages of, I want to say like three and six. Uh, there is one, and th- that's all the speech that you hear, uh, with the exception of one clip that um, was from when I was, see, I was in fourth grade, so I would have been, I don't know, like 10 years old or something like that, uh, which is just a clip from the stand-up comedy act that my, my mom wrote for me to perform in the uh, in the fourth grade talent show, which we titled Scheinfeld, um, which is the line about... Double stuff Oreos, and then all the all the uh, really really awful uh, guitar playing is from uh, when my childhood nanny, who is the who's the person who made all these micro cassette recordings, came to visit for my high school graduation, and I just started learning to play the guitar a few months earlier. Um, she was uh, she wanted to let me. She wanted me to let her sit in the room. Uh, while I was playing guitar, and she was secretly recording me me doing that, <laughs> and then she sent it back to me, thinking I would love it. Yay! Thanks. I was terrible. All the music in this episode, instead of our regular bin on the amazing Casio keyboard, is compliments of Matt and his self-described shitty twelfth grade guitar playing. Twelfth, tw- sixth grade. Sixth grade. You said high school. Is it high school? Is it well as twelfth grade? Sixteen. I heard high school. When high did grade. you When did you start learning to play guitar for the first time? Uh, I had my first lesson in August of uh, two thousand and of two thousand or two thousand and one. That's what it was. Or was it? Maybe it was July because I remember by uh, we we were in my dad and I were in California for uh, we were doing some work in a studio uh, when. On September 11th, and uh, I remember at that point, I was sitting in the back room, uh, practicing the guitar solo from some Steely Dan song. There was no way that I would have gotten up to that, up to that level. So maybe that was oh that, that was yeah. So I graduated. I don't, I don't you know I don't know when I graduated high school, but I was bad at guitar when I did. And so these the guitar music we've been hearing is from right as you were graduating high school. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a listen to some clips. Uh, the, the music is obviously something that's been dispersed. So uh, we do have a few clips, I guess, when you were between three and six to play. Let's take a listen. I'm ready when you are. 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 I'm not ready yet. <laughs> You're not ready. The only time I'm ready is when you're in here. I just think that's just about the most uh, fascinatingly cute, brilliant thing ever. Um, actually, I just remembered something that we should mention before we get into that. Um, Jimmy couldn't make it uh, for this portion. Um, Doug will be here to provide commentary as he does in great fashion. Hi. It's a pleasure to talk to Matt and to listen to these funny-ass tapes. Um, what did you think, Melissa? There's just... A big pile of adorable, like pretty much. How old were you in that particular? Are you were you at your youngest, like around three years old? Um, uh, I want to say I was right in the middle because, uh, because my speech impediment wasn't super prominent right there. Um, I had a very tough time with ours. I mean, ours. <laughs> they came out sounding like ours. 
Um, sure. And that didn't, I, I, it seemed like I was pretty capable of saying I'm not ready yet. So I must have been a little bit older, maybe four or five. That's interesting. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I had anything specific that I couldn't say when I was a kid. Did you guys have any? Oh, I still have a hard time saying certain words that I just, it sort of comes automatically without even thinking about it. Um, Toyota and iron. Really? <laughs> right. Not joking. I, I mean, I can if I think about them, I can say them right. But Toyota and iron. But the fact is, is that without even thinking about it, just sort of automatically, that's the way it's said. Iron and toy and Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> I, I don't have any that can that sort of come to me automatically that I misspeak a lot more so than I just stumble over my own syllables from time to time. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't think of any that are. Uh, way off base that I just say wrong but uh, I was a terrible speller as a child I'm still so a terrible words speller words like necessary I still have to double check I still like, cannot spell guarantee how, like, yeah, yeah I have trouble with that and restaurant for some reason re- furniture I'm bad at um, <laughs> I am the world's worst speller to the point that um, we'll have to have a reverse spelling bee <laughs> at some point it'll, it'll, it'll be good and comedic uh, wish I was going to be here for your birthday party because that would be really fun after a couple drinks oh man <laughs> We do have more beer. We could do it tonight. It's true. Um, no, but to the point that back in the day before everybody had smartphones with autocorrect and all that shit, when you still had T9, my T9 started to learn my horrendous misspellings because it had no idea what I was trying to say. The T9 was was uh, was capable of, of learning things back then? My, my, or my T9 must have been, I don't know, it was somewhat adaptive. It finally kind of figured out that you type this a lot. I don't know what this word is, but I'm going to suggest it to you because... It wasn't able to learn. It forced itself to because your spelling was that bad. I am not kidding when I say I'm a horrific speller. That's awesome. Um, well, we do have this other clip as well that I think ties really into the theme of this episode, which is Father's Day, um, which you know was a few weeks ago. We have a clip here. We still got it out in the month of June, so that's all that matters. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we have... This whole entire clip here is brilliant. Let's take a listen. One million and 
and eight cents, and then and nine cents. Uh, one billion. One billion, then two. One billion, then three. One billion, then four. One billion, then five. One billion, then six. One billion, then seven. One billion, then eight. One billion, then nine. Oh. All this money is one billion, then nine cents. Yeah, look at this. Look at all this. One hundred, one billion and nine cents. Mm. But look at all this together. What does all this together make? About a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? <coughs> How about a thousand dollars? Look at this. talking to your dad in these clips, right? That's the other voice we're hearing? Uh, no, that's not, that's not actually my dad. That was uh, a man named David Highway who was my nanny's... Uh, technically, he was her fiancé, but that was only because of... Actually, no, he was her fiancé. Technically, he was her husband because of Commonwealth law. They'd been living together for 11 years and never gotten married, but if you've been living together for 11 years, you know, technically you're married in some states. Alon, you've led us so far astray. Um, actually, not at all, because it's what what we still ha- have heard here is completely relevant to the Father's Day discussion. What does what did your dad do when you were growing up, and does he still do it? Uh, well, yes, he he does still do what uh, he was doing when I was growing up. Except my perception of it at the beginning of that clip, uh, when I was in the bathtub, uh, <laughs> has changed. So you kept because... saying magic something. I couldn't quite hear the. Yeah, I. It sounds like I, I heard, like, was saying I want to be magic plane. I thought but it was that magic train. Really I heard sense. magic train. Which 
ties back in. Actually, we can bring it back full circle to the first yeah. episode. I want to be a fire truck of this lovely podcast. We talked about what we wanted to be when we grew up, and there was some clips from the Danziger Zone tapes where people wanted to be automobiles. So tying it into he, this episode, uh, considering concerning what your father did as, as you grew up and na- and into now, what you wanted to be when you grew up was that influenced at all by him? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I mean, originally, when I was a kid, you know, like most kids, my big thing was dinosaurs. Um, I would go to the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan every uh, every month um, and look at the dinosaur bones, and I wanted to be a paleontologist. And then, at some point, when I got a few years older, I guess I decided that I'd didn't want to be that and I'd always wanted to fly airplanes uh, and I wanted to like fly bomber planes because I was a I was a total World War II geek and the movie Memphis Bell was like I would just watch it on repeat and then I realized that I was human classification 4F and I wouldn't wouldn't make it into the military and at some point you know you know when you're a kid and you're in school and like you always end up seeing a social worker every Every year, one of them asked me one time, like, what are you going to, what do you want to do, you know, when you grow up? And I was like, I guess I'll do what my dad does. It's pretty cool. Um, which is, uh, he's a, he's a recording engineer and, um, and I ended up doing what my dad does and it, it is pretty cool. That's cool. Then, um, the it's other, not magic, not quite magic. No, but still that's, I, for as much as I contribute to this podcast, I have no idea how the magic happens when Doug goes away and makes all of the clips into an actual episode. It's a lot of me and Alon swearing at each other. And me, me being like, leave me alone, I'll finish it when I finish it, God damn it. It's pretty it's a, much how the it's magic a, it's happens. It's a contemptuous but uh, otherwise very loving relationship. I like to, th- I like to think of it as magic. I yeah, like to think it's, most, it's magic. 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 That um, was amazing. I thought the tape was screwing up. When I listened to that originally, I was like, something's wrong with this. But then you did it again, and I was totally amazed. <laughs> yeah, the little song was great. And then what was that background noise as you were counting the 9 billion cents or what, 1 billion cents, whatever it was? Uh, I think what was going on right then was I was counting through a pile of change. Was that the change uh, that, yeah, that was like had you been playing dumped with out from a change jar? Um, or the, there was first a small pile of change, and I was counting that. And then once I had counted that, to the amount of one billion and nine cents. And nine. One, and nine. One billion is my favorite part of that whole thing. It's <laughs> one just... billion and eight. One billion and nine. Also, I, I switched um, <laughs> without any reasoning from one million to one billion. Yeah. Uh, what reason do you need, really? If you can upgrade yourself without having to worry about it. You I, should do it. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, yeah, I think I, and I finished counting that pile, and then uh, David was like, "Hey, check this out!" And he dumped out the, another jar, and then I just started losing my shit, and and like, ah! um, and I, <laughs> so I was much of, money. The voice is also really great in this in these clips because with the Danziger's own clips, they're all really young and it's all kind of squeaky and high pitched. But this is like this is just. It's another level of childlike. Well, yeah, I wasn't as young in those clips. No, I too. know the thing. It's like the age difference. It's interesting for me to hear. Well, and the, the I think part of that is that 
uh, Matt's speaking with adults, and Alon, most for the most part, you're talking to your contemporaries, so you all have equally high-pitched, childlike right. voices. So to hear the difference is uh, is more interesting. Or not more interesting. It is interesting. It is interesting, yeah. But it definitely it take, sort of took a minute as we started listening to the clip to really sort of focus in and hear what was going on. Um, the big jar of change um, is a strong childhood memory for me. Yeah. We had a, a giant uh, plastic Coke bottle that we used to fill up with change. And uh, <clears throat> we had a... Um, basketball hoop in our backyard and we used to let these like neighborhood guys come use the basketball hoop and then one day they came inside and stole the coke bottle full of change Lame. and i couldn't believe it it's like we were so I nice had... to you guys and you ripped us off for our coke bottle full of change i had one of those coke bottles too they're like three feet tall yeah they're really huge it right was, i had always like 80 bucks in it i always wanted to fill it and you're like you, it, it takes a really long fucking time to fill one of those like that's yeah that's we were so close and yet so far <laughs> No, and I remember my dad had a change jar too, just like a, like a mason jar of change, and he still does. Like, sort of that. Very, it's, I think it's a very dad thing to come home at the end of the day and just like dump all your change on the dresser. I never even had a piggy bank when I was growing up. I was always very jealous of all the kids that had piggy banks with all their money saved up. But I don't. I never had one. I don't. I think it just never like really dawned on me that oh maybe you should save some money, Elon, and it really. Stood Save it for what? You're a kid. What exactly. do you need it for? I, I had a piggy bank as a kid, and I'm st- I was never good at saving money as a kid. I'm still bad at saving money now, so I don't. Having the piggy bank doesn't necessarily make you financially responsible as a grown up. Matt, were you any good at saving money as a child? Uh, probably not. Probably not, because I don't have any memory of saving money or doing anything with saved money. I thought you might say that. I fe- have a feeling like. All children are bad at saving money, and the whole and point is they just try to beat it into you. So eventually, you learn it when you're an adult. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm bad work. at saving money now, <laughs> so I probably wasn't any better as a child. I think I have thirty-eight dollars in my savings account right now. That's pretty good. Let's um, <laughs> let, let's take a listen at some uh, other clips while we're at. We have a, a clip. Um, we have this clip. I think that is good to play. For the basically giving the actual year as well as just more cute Matt Shiner talking. <laughs> That's a good enough introduction, yeah? Sure. <laughs> this episode is filled yeah. with cute. Let's just keep it rolling. Yeah, yeah. Get cute it up. Hello. This is Matthew. It is June 1989 now. And I am making this tape for game and this in this tape I am going to read a book about hemophilia and uh, in this book it is about me it really is and I am very happy to be doing this because I just can't wait to read the book. By Lorraine Simon and David Highway. So that was your nanny's uh, partner, the guy who uh, we're hearing in that clip, right? And beforehand. One of the co-authors of the book. Right. Yeah. So he, uh, w- what was this book about? I think they just wrote um, like a short children's book 
about, you know, like day-to-day life of a child with hemophilia and used me as the, as the subject. Or sorry, hemophilia. That was an impressive attempt to say hemophilia as a small child. What was uh, the what, what? Excuse me. What was the exact uh, nature of the books? Uh, like, what did it talk about in terms of the day to day life? Um, you know, I don't remember specifically. I remember that the book existed, and I, I have a feeling that it was like today. Matthew's going to the doctor to get an infusion because he hurt his ankle playing basketball or something, you know. And then there was probably something cute at the end about ice packs. <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to dig it up. Like, it's, it's got to be lying around somewhere in a basement. It's kind of a sweet notion when you have a book that not only relates to you, but is very much about you. And so it seems from the nature of the clip, um, you're, you're, you are reading this book because it really made an impact on you at a very young age. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, which books generally did not. I was never really big on reading. Um, I was definitely big on having books read to me. Um, but obviously, I mean, a book about me. Yeah, I will read this. I'm so excited to read this book. That's, that's got to be cool as a kid to have a book about you. Yeah, even if there's only one copy that exists. I was just going to ask totally if this cool. work was ever published, but obviously you're saying there was only one copy. I, I assume there was only one copy. I, I feel like I would know if, if that was not the case. You'd be getting likeness rights or something, right? <laughs> well, I mean, like in your recollection of the book, do you remember it being actually like hardbound like an, a kid's picture book, or was it more of sort of a DIY homemade book kind of thing? Um, I mean, she definitely put some time into it. It was like I think it was ring bound, maybe. Um, like she went to a went to a, a printer and and had it done nicely, and she spent a lot a lot of time on the illustrations. And uh, but it was like bound at Kinkos. It wasn't a hardback. No, book. this is eighty nine. This is pre Kinkos. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, what, what? Or whatever the eighty nine equivalent of Kinkos was. I don't know. I, I was I was an infant. I don't know. Ye oldie bookbinder. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> There's uh, an, actually uh, uh, a lot of books that I still have kept in my bookshelf uh, back at home that I haven't read in a long time. But I always will equate those books with being, with growing up and the fact that I loved reading, but I didn't like reading like a huge 200-page uh, like book. I wasn't like Anna Green Gables or any of that. I was all about the frog and tones oh, and yeah, no, the I was... man with many hats or whatever I think it's funny, was. actually, you bring up Anna Green Gables because I read a lot as a kid. I actually read all all eight of the Anne of Green Gables books. Or like Hardy Boys or something. I mean, I, yeah, but like I didn't I, know there was more than one Anne of Green no, Gables. No, there's a series of eight, and there's also four Little Women books, um, which I also read all four of. I also read the all hundred of the first hundred of the Babysitter's Club's books. Had all hundred at one point in my bookshelf. I did goosebumps. Oh, did the do the Babysitters Club books have like um a continuous piece of artwork that spanned all the spines of all hundred books? No, that would be pretty cool. No, but they were like they there didn't. was a little bit of I mean, the the color of just maybe it was the edition of the um, paperbacks I had because it is one of those series kind of like Nancy Drew that it's 
Carolyn Keene, the author of Nancy Drew, they still publish new Nancy Drew books written by Carolyn Keene, and it's somebody's ghost writing them at this and point. And she's 100. Right. Like, <laughs> they're all by the same author, even though they've been coming out for 50 years now. Sure. Um, I think the same thing was the deal with the Babysitter's Club's books, but the edition they were in paperback when I read them as a kid, they did sort of chromatically go from like yellow to pink to blue to green. Right on. Sort of pastel-y. It seems like books are something that we could continue to talk about for quite a long time, but because Matthew here uh, clearly did not like to read them, he liked to be read too, uh, he liked uh, to speak a lot more, and so therefore I think these next clips that we have coming up are extremely engaging uh, for this next conversation we're about to have. Um, Let's take a listen. ask you a question matthew was your did your parents let you record the voicemail for the house or was this something that you just like had on the side yeah actually uh it wasn't it was never my idea to to record the answering machine messages but my nanny uh lorraine or yane as i called her um would make me do it <laughs> i think maybe the you know my parents asked her to have me do it and and she would write something out, and then we'd do a bunch of takes sitting at the tape machine, the answering machine, which was a tape at that time. Yeah. Um, and we tried a couple different versions. Apparently, in one of them, I thought it was black. Which, I think you thought you were meat you know, It turned out not to be. <laughs> sounds, Come on, man! <laughs> just sounds so much like Meatwad. Before Meatwad was Meatwad. Exactly. But you're about to say Melissa. No, I was going to say... Yeah, that's what I was trying to put my finger on. That. I was like, man, there's like three words in there that sound exactly like some cartoon character. Meatwad, that's what it I just remember when I was younger that I, if I think I tried auditioning to do the answering machine for the house and failed miserably... <laughs> It just, your parents were just like, next. Exactly. <laughs> they kept it for a day, and they were like, we're going to go back to ours. Yeah, that's the thing is I think my parents didn't even bother with trying to do like the cutesy family. Like, you've, re- re- you've reached and like, <laughs> rattle off the entire family. But even, but even, oh, yeah. but even more, um, un, you know, I guess, the impar- the, what's really imperative about the clip, I think, it's really nice you know, now knowing that this was a project that you and your nanny uh, had going on is, is that while you were being looked after, it was a really great creative outlet for you to do something that was involved in recording. You know, just like your dad was involved in recording, this kind of had a way to sort of connect you and your dad in that way. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, yeah, I was being groomed, groomed for a, a life in the studio. <laughs> doing silly things with my voice when did you start uh really honing in seriously on the 
audio technician musician tip? Um, well, I, I guess by the time that I was uh, about halfway through high school, we you know had like a family talk. Like, so what are you gonna do after high school? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I'd like to like to do what you're doing. And and he was like, well, you know, Berkeley's got the the best program for that right now. And uh, I I teach there sometimes, so you know, I you know, I'm sure you could you could get in. Uh, and it was actually it was really easy getting into that school. And I was like, yeah, going to a music college. Fuck yeah! And we're I'm not gonna about, go to. A- we're talking about Berkeley College of Music in Boston, not Berkeley, California. Absolutely, talking about Berkeley and Boston, not in Berkeley, California. I was not. Uh, I'm not. I wasn't really big on school and things that come with school, like writing papers and uh, reading books. I, I'm amazed that I made it through high school without, you know, really shitty grades. I don't know what was happening. Um, but I, uh, yeah, and, and I decided to go to Berkeley because it was the only place I applied to. And, um, and in order to get accepted, I actually had to start, I had to be actively a musician. So I, uh, since I was still too shy about singing in front of my mother, who's a singing teacher, I, uh, I took up guitar, and then and then it all just sort of snowballed from there. And the rest is history. And the rest <laughs> is history. Doug? Yeah. Why Doug? I don't know. What Doug? Well, oh, you, well, you, was... you as a musician uh, in your own, well, kind Hold of. Hold on, let me, you can't, you can't see me <laughs> you or can't hear make... me rolling my eyes, yeah. so let me just make a, make, make a pshaw. roll eye noise. <laughs> um, well, I went to school for music recording as well. But uh, I didn't really do it much until I was in school for it. Um, and I went more for radio and television than for music because that was what was available to me because I didn't play anything. And a smart decision that was because you can actually get a job doing that. I, I haven't ever. This is my first job doing it and it's not even a real job. But it's fun. Uh, I uh, My first step in that process was... A, trying to apply to NYU and you had to have a demo reel of stuff that you'd already recorded. So I was like, well, the fuck out of here because I don't have anything. Uh, but then uh, you didn't need any of that nonsense for Ithaca. You just had to talk a good game. So it worked out. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest lies about adulthood is that you'll actually do something related to your college degree. I might have, but I just never worked out. Anything that I say about what I'm doing in my life, uh, the fact that you put the lowest common denominator and that I was a writing major, theater minor <laughs> at college, it all seems to make sense because nothing equates. Nothing. Yeah, no, my my uh, brother actually just had to declare his major this past semester, and he's double majoring in English and American studies with an art history minor. So That just sounds very convoluted. I, he, he's getting ready to sign up for the unemployment line. He's, uh, he's ready to wait tables for the rest of his life. We did have one more clip to play uh, in regards to, you had mentioned singing, and the last clip that we have to play, uh, we do have time for one more clip, is uh, of you creating quite the musical concoction. Uh, Let's hear what you got. Hello, this is me and my my song, and this is Matthew, and I am going to just Me and my wiener. Me 
you alone with this person that wanted to see about your wiener. I was going to say, and yet again, the the, hilar- the ridiculous amounts of laughing and looking at each other like, is this real? Doesn't translate into audio, but... Oh my god. You know, to, to, we all lost our shit there for a minute. To, to this day, the words pee and poop in, in the right context and like if I'm in the right state of mind can make me totally lose my shit and laugh like that. There is a part of this tape that we don't have time to play. The lyrics are, somebody farted, somebody pooped. And I think they just say you do that over and over again. You just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it over and over again. And I think, I mean, it's very soft work, but it, again, with this and that, it makes total sense. Like, you're just singing what's on your head. You know, you're improvising, musical improvisation. That, that actually was, believe it or not, that was a real song from the 80s. Uh... Somebody farted. You can you can Google it. it it's on YouTube. It's uh, we'll put it on we'll uh, put it up on the Tumblr. Absolutely cool. Yeah, I don't remember the artist's name, but it was out around the same time that that um, uh, Eddie Murray had put out that song. Eddie that Murray like, from the Baltimore Orioles. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> did I say Eddie Murray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you did. I was, yeah, I was thinking was it Bill Murray? It was Eddie Murphy? <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> Uh, it was Bill Macy, actually. It was, Ed, it was Eddie Macy. <laughs> it was Edward R. Murrow. Yeah. Uh, put, out this, put out that song, you know, like, put a telephone in your butt. Put a tiny man in your butt. Put a toilet in your butt. It was about this around the same time when, like, butt poop yeah. humor was okay in, like, but, top 40 hits. Yeah, put, your bo- put the boogie in your butt by Eddie Murphy. Put the boogie in your butt, yeah, yeah. I have absolutely um, no recollection of the song whatsoever. Somebody it's, farted was a little bit more obscure, and I fucking loved it. <laughs> um, this, this will but definitely. yeah, and the, and the other one was just uh, me and my weenus was me. Ta- there, I think there's a song called "Me and My Shadow." Me and my shadow walking down the earth, and and Who's obviously to me at that time, what is a shadow? I don't care. I know what a weenus is. I have one. I'm going to sing about it. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is it reminded me of, I think it must have been in middle school when everybody finally figured out that actually the, a weenus was actually the outside skin on your elbow. What? I, what? No, I didn't even no, know that. No, like, maybe it was the 10th grade. Like, the actual, <laughs> the outside, what? The out, that, like, on the outside of your elbow, that loose piece of skin <laughs> is anatomically called the weenus. This, no yeah. this is why we have you here, Melissa. This is why we have you here. Shit, my friends and I figured out in that late middle, early high school phase. So what you're saying you sure? is right now Alon's weenus is showing. You sure yes. Just Damn. Tell you that to like get you to stop saying weenus. Uh, again, I have to reiterate th- this song was brilliant and it had like a, kind of like a, a shred of like kind of uh, Steely Dan, if you will, kind of the, like this or like you know, when you were sky, you're like scapadoo, do 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 do, like it's kind of like a kind of a, a jazzy sort of ness to it. I don't swinging know. pretty hard for a four year old. Damn right. Um, but you had to have it learned that from somewhere. Where did do you have a place where you think you learned that that was how you do jazz improv, <laughs> <laughs> or if you can remember such a thing from such a young age? 
it may have been that my parents, my parents used to watch, uh, because it was so terrible. They used to watch it for laughs, uh, the Lawrence Welk show, because they were rerunning it when I was a kid. And so I, I think some of that may have sunk in unintentionally. <laughs> it, it left, left irony and became real to you as a child. Yeah. I like it. This is how you jazz. <laughs> I did do, we did do a quick fact check with Google. And your weenus, W-E-N-U-S, is the skin on the outside of your elbow. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I wasn't denying you. What about, no. your, what about your weedus? <laughs> that. Uh, uh, we know we're running short on time and you have places to be. Um, we want to thank you for being on the show with us and for Absolutely. taking the time to find these clips and send them to us. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, is there anything um, you want to plug or any final, final words? Um, I, I just want to say, you know, that it was really great to, uh, have the opportunity to share this with people who <laughs> actually found it as entertaining as I do. Um, Absolutely. and, uh, you found that in us because these are amazing. Yes. Well, we would love to have you back again to do some more of this another time when you get more of the tapes digitized. Any EPs, any concerts coming up, uh, that you feel the need to share? Um, you know, I think... I think the only ones are going to be before airtime, but if you want to keep checking back on uh, on facebook.com slash the tropic of Pisces, you know, there will be entertaining things going on from time to time. Well, thank you very much, sir, for joining us. We'll let you get back to tuning up. Matthew Shiner <laughs> calling in from Brooklyn, New York, here on Lost and Rewound. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. You too. We'll be right back. Lost and Rewound. And that's our show. Our thanks again to Matthew Shiner for joining us and contributing for this episode. He's a billion. Yes, a billion. And one. And and nine. A billion and nine. Indeed. Lost and Around is hosted by Alon Danziger, Jimmy Hoffman, and Melissa Lloyd, produced by Douglas Johnson. You can check us out online at lostandrewound.com, on Twitter at Lost and Rewound, Facebook Lost and Rewound. You can also shoot us an email to lostandrewound at gmail.com, particularly if you too want to share your tapes. We're also on iTunes now, so anywhere online you want to find us. We will find you. Or you could find us, rather. Yeah, you no, should find we, us. We won't find you. We won't find you. You should find us. Lost and Rewound. Hey, can anyone tell me just what is so fun about a fun-sized candy bar? Nothing. <laughs>